0: The Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin right here in The Pro-America Report. Great to be with you tonight. Thank you for listening. its It's been a great week. I mean, we had such a good time last week at CPAC, and uh, this week, uh, Andrea K, Andrew Kay and I had that show on Tuesday night with the returns from the California elections and Super Tuesday, which was a blast, and it's great to be back with you. And remember... If you want to get um each morning from me, Ed Martin, my email to you, it's what you need to know. It's the Wink email, W-Y-N-K. That's what you need to know, what you need to know. If you want to get that in the morning, first thing, 5 a.m. it comes Pacific time. Go to EdMartinLive.com right now, EdMartinLive.com, and uh pick up a copy. Uh Excuse me, not pick up a copy. Put your email address in there, and you will get a copy of... My email in the morning at 5 a.m. I don't I don't rent your email list. I don't sell it. I don't give it away. I don't my email list. I don't get you do anything with your email except do that. So go sign up there. Also, you can go to PhyllisSchlafly.com. You hear me talk a lot about the uh, work I do as president of the Phyllis Schlafly Eagle Forum organizations. <clears throat> Excuse me. You can go there and find out more about that. Lots to see there. All right. Well, we have another great show in a few moments. We will talk with uh, Hans von Spakowski, uh, the legal expert, and especially expert on uh, on the um, uh, elections, but we're going to talk to him about uh, what's happening, particularly with a legal challenge to the president's common sense um, immigration decisions to make it so that if you come to America and you try to get asylum, you have to go back to your home country and wait until we check it out. That was always the magnet. People would come here, claim asylum or refugee status, and they'd be released into the pub- public. They'd never come back. So Hans von Spakowski from Heritage Foundation, will be with with us, and we will also talk in just a few moments before that with Brian Maloney of MediaEqualizer.com. I like Brian a lot. Good guy. But I like listening to him, especially on the question of what the media is up to, how they're spinning us. So we'll talk to Brian Maloney in a few moments. Uh, but before that, I've got to tell you what you need to know. What you need to know today. It's a, it's a big day. Uh, the president earlier tonight was having a town hall on Fox. If you saw much of it, he was in good form and full form. He was flowing and joking and uh, and leading. And he said something earlier in the day. Actually, it was said about him. But he echoed it. It was retweeted. And it was this. Joe Biden represents the past. Donald Trump represents the future. Think about that. Joe Biden represents the past. It was in the Senate for 50 years or 40 years and, and, uh, and vice president. Joe Biden represents the past. Donald Trump represents the future. That's powerful. That's pretty much if that becomes the way you see the race, man, I don't know how you win that. And I I will say, you know, we I've been watching this closely now. I think Joe Biden is a the Democrat establishment settling on Joe Biden is because they know that as an empty vessel, they can try to pour into him. The best, you know, kind of, um, maybe the seniors will think, well, he's, you know, older and he understands us. And, and, uh, certainly African Americans associate him with Obama. So that's a positive thing. So there's a number of things that they're doing. He comes from Pennsylvania. He was born in Pennsylvania, although he was in Delaware for his whole career. But he's, he grew up in Scranton, Pennsylvania. So I think he's more, more, um, more significant, uh, than people realize in terms of the empty vessel. Uh, but that characterization, Joe Biden's about the past. Joe Biden represents the past. Donald Trump represents the future that's pretty um, that's a pretty good um, uh, contrast for President Trump here's another thing you should think about by the way I'm not even to what you need to know yet well maybe this is what you need to know what you need to know yeah this is what you need to know come looking at my notes who do you think will be in charge of America if Joe Biden is president I'm being serious Does anybody think that Joe Biden is going to run this country and run the presidency if he wins the race? No, right? I mean, does anybody? He doesn't look like he's up to the job. So that means someone's going to be in charge. When all of the Democrat establishment and all these people fell in line for Biden, who is it that they think will be in charge? I I don't know. I mean, I'd say your guess is as good as mine. I mean, we can guess in the same range. Obama, Hillary, you know, the the Clinton, the Pelosi. But I mean, clearly, it seems to me, that's the question. This is what you need to know. And I'm not sure we know yet. Who will be in charge of America? Who will be in charge of the presidency if Joe Biden wins the election? I, I, I don't think we know. I really don't think we know. I think that's, the, I think that's the, um, the, the, the wild card here. But think about this. Earlier today, Elizabeth Warren got out of the race. Now, she hasn't yet endorsed uh, either Biden or Bernie, but she hasn't endorsed either Biden or Bernie. I mean, it, it, she is more progressive than Biden. Two days ago, she said Biden represents, you know, no change from the past. So she's not endorsing Bernie. Why? Because she knows how this is going. And she's a politician, you know, for all these people that say they're not politicians and all they're all creatures of this world this swamp. They either get swamp corrupted or they come into the swamp already done. So there she is, you know, prancing around America saying she's the one person who has this great vision and this great uh, clarity and this great truthfulness. Elizabeth Warren. Meanwhile, when she gets out of the race, she doesn't have the courage of her convictions to back the person who has the similar positions as her. Why is that? And again, the reason why is because we're in a situation we we're watching. We're not in ourselves. I'm not. Where the Democrat Party is in a full on uh, civil war. Now, I I guess at this point it has to be understood that it's not maybe it's 35 percent of the Democrat Party is with Bernie. You know, it's clearly at least at the ballot box. It's not more than that. You know, Bernie Sanders spent a lot of today and yesterday doing interviews where he was explaining how his model of getting young people to vote he thinks it's going to do better, and you know all this kind of stuff. The fact is, he is very popular with young people, but they don't vote. And as I mentioned earlier, I, m- I mentioned uh, yesterday, and I'll talk about it later on in the program. To the end of the pro, towards the end of the program, you know, there's certain rules, laws of gravity excuse me, laws of uh, laws of the universe, laws of the political universe. I'd say like, like, almost like gravity. The law of gravity is, you know, that's gonna, what goes up is going to come down, right? Something like that. However you figure it out, however you want to say it. In politics, certain laws of the universe have not been shown to be uh, untrue. Even when everybody says, oh, this might be the time. One of them is young people don't vote. No matter what young people say about how much they care about an issue or a person, they just don't get in the habit by percentage. I mean, some young people do. And another one, by the way, is that, uh, right now, the last, say, 25 years, maybe 30, African Americans, uh, tend to fall in line for the Democrats. Doesn't matter who they are. Doesn't matter that they've been taken for granted by their party and all that. And I, I tend to think for all the machinations and all the efforts of President Trump, uh, to be hoping to lift all boats, every boat, you know, not, not just hyphenated Americans, not just this group or that group, but make it so all of America, the only, the only preference you see the president make is for Americans over other people in the world that the first group that he'll put at the top of the list is Americans. and so but I don't know that that changes the equation in the electoral in the campaign season at the in the election. I just think that there's certain rules of the universe, and one of them is at this point, African Americans by big by big majority by by big percentage, a huge percentage will stay with the Democratic Party. Hillary Clinton was not likable for African Americans; she, she wasn't attractive. She had she didn't have Bill's strength of uh, of relationship or anything, and yet they still voted a higher percentage for her than uh, obviously broadly I mean, than than any, almost anyone. Obama got higher because he's Obama. So, uh, you know, this is there's still this civil war in the party. But here's well, here's the second what you need to know of this segment. I'm sorry. This is a little bit sloppy. I'm giving you two to focus on. But here's the here's the second one. The reality is that the president is unifying people. The problem is he's unifying people against him in terms of the election. There's tons of people that are for him. But my goodness, there's tons of people against him. And and the Wall Street Journal had a piece today about how um, the numbers turnout wise for Biden looked a lot like 2018, where the huge numbers came out in the suburbs and they came out for uh, the Democrats against Trump. Now, in the suburbs where I live in Virginia, for example, in 2019, we had elections and a huge number came out against Trump, you know, against Trump's party. But there wasn't as big a turnout for the Republicans. you got to think that President Trump will be the motivating force for Republicans. But it's a problem. It's a problem to have. Oh, this is what I want to finish that with. The problem is the Democrats at this point don't care about principle. They don't care about uh, policies. They just hate Trump and they want to win. And so they're willing to accept Joe Biden, who was, you know, not been great on all the issues that they that the broadly the Democrat uh, liberals care about. But they don't care because they just want to beat the orange man. They want to beat Trump so badly that they're willing to accept, I would say, you know, not their best policy positions. They just want power. And again, I'll finish it up where I started this segment. Who do you think? Who do you think will run America if Joe Biden is president? It's not going to be him. Will it be his VP? Will it be his uh, chief of staff? Will it be the Clintonistas? I'm not sure. Your your guess or your uh, conjecture is probably as good as mine right now. But that needs to be the question the American people have. Because clearly the Joe Bidens of the world are not the Joe Biden campaign. They know it. They know he's not the, the he doesn't have the horsepower. And so that's what you're facing. Anyway, we'll see. All right, when we, take a, when we come back, we will take a quick break. But when we come back, uh, we will talk with um, um, Brian Maloney. We had him on the show last week. We'll catch up again this week. And then after that, we will uh, visit with our old friend Hans von Spakovsky. And tomorrow, we'll get uh, Dr. Paul Kanger of Grove City uh, talking about uh, Biden and Bloomberg and where it's headed. We'll take a quick break. It's Ed Martin here, Pro America Report. Thanks for listening. Be right back
0: answer san diego streaming now on iheart.com and radio.com this is the pro america report on the answer san diego
1: Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. If you were listening to us last week, Andrea Kay and I were at the CPAC, and uh, one of the guys that we had a chance to have to talk to on the radio, but also to visit with off the air, is a guy named Brian Maloney. And Brian's uh, been a guest on this program before, no stranger to our listeners, but he's very interesting to talk to because he, um, well, he's the founder of the Media Quality Project. Uh, I think the one that was most interesting, Stop the Scalpings, uh, uh, the Facebook group, um, 100,000 people signed up. know anything about facebook it's uh, not that easy to do and he's been on uh, radio tv all over the place So he's a great astute observer of what's happening welcome back brian how are you
2: yeah thanks for having me on the show again
1: well, let me ask you this question before, because I thought of, uh, as I was getting ready to talk to you, things I could ask you that I couldn't ask anybody else and your ability to observe the media. This is my question. How big a mistake or was it inevitable that Bloomberg did a debate? And it seemed like his debate performance kind of ended his campaign. He, he, he was using his money pretty effectively until then. And am I wrong on that? Am I, did he have to do it? Was it a mistake? What's your opinion on that?
2: Well, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, as long as he could buy the message with free, you know, filmed ads that he didn't have the chance to screw up in, he was fine. But if you put him in a live setting, he was horrible. I mean, he was one of the worst debaters I've ever seen. It's amazing he was ever elected mayor of New York City. And it was absolutely yeah. remarkable, his flame out. I, I mean, he was a- actually devastated by that one question about the non-compete that he had these women sign, And it was yeah. it was absolutely just a moment of self-destruction and i thought you know hadn't anyone tried to prepare him for that and and i think that the answer is no because when you're worth 30 billion or 40 billion or whatever you're surrounded by people who are telling you how great you are all day long you're not surrounded by people who are challenging you questioning you polishing your skills you're surrounded by people telling you oh mike that's great um you know you're doing a great job blah 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 that's what you have
1: yeah, well, and I'm 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 not worth thirty billion dollars, and I too am surrounded by people that say I'm great all day long. So it's a little different problem. But but wait, but Brian, here's what I want to ask you, I, and I think you I think I think you'll agree with me on this. But let me try this out. I think people are now saying, oh, look at Bloomberg. He wasted $700 million. Well, that's true. But, you know, Bloomberg went from zero to 15% with a couple hundred million dollars. And my point there is, and they were good ads. They were ads that were clever. If you know ads, they were cleverly done to pick a lane to be in. I think Bloomberg proved that big money on TV can actually move the needle. Maybe you can't win the election, but it certainly proved that you can move the needle. And and, and, well, uh, yeah. and he did that. I'm, I'm, isn't well, that right? Yeah, no,
2: he Yeah, if you were in New England and you were watching uh, Boston, New Hampshire television, every single spot break was Bloomberg, Bloomberg, Bloomberg. I mean, before that New Hampshire primary, you couldn't escape his ads if you tried. Um, You couldn't go to the gym. You couldn't go anywhere. Anywhere TV was on, there was an ad for Mike. uh, And we've seen some political cartoons, you know, with jokes about, you know, Mike's ads being, you know, in the bathroom stall with you and, and, you know, just you couldn't get away from it.
1: Yeah, Uh, we're talking with Brian Maloney, by the way, and at Media Equalizer, you can go to on Twitter. And Brian, I want to ask you about uh, Biden now, because I have a little bit of a theory that's counter to what a lot of folks are saying. And it's because I got a text from a friend of mine who is a a middle class, maybe slightly upper middle class, uh, married husband. Uh, His wife works. They have two kids. Great guy. He texted me and said, making fun of Biden for being old isn't a good idea. And, and he's, a, by the way, he's a hard card Trump guy. And he said, you know, you got to be careful because there's a lot of people that are old and uh, and it doesn't really work. Is is there a danger in that or is it at this point it's kind of um, Biden's got, you know, it's it's a it's kind of a Bob Dole thing where everybody thinks, oh, he's a lovely guy. He's got a great career. And then suddenly everybody goes, yeah, I'm not going to go with that guy. What, what do you think about that well, sort of knife's edge?
2: Yeah, I mean, if it's a Democrat, then you can't make fun of them. If it's Republican, <laughs> then all bets are off. Yeah. You know, so there's a double right. standard in the media that, of course, we've done. Dealt with for so many years. And um, but the bot, I think you need to be careful how you craft that message because if, so if I were running this show from the Republican side, mm-hmm. what I'd be doing right now is saying, look, you know, Biden is only going to be president for six months before something happens and whoever his VP yep. is becomes president. So what you're voting yeah. for is a period of instability politically, uh, and who knows who's behind him there, you know, who's his VP, and then who does that person uh, have as VP, so you know, what is this, a backdoor for, you know, Chelsea Clinton or something, I mean, you know, it's a backdoor for somebody, we don't know who it is, and so there's something, and the way the party schemed uh, to To make this happen for Biden, with in a way that was so Clintonian, I thought. I mean, it was really just right out of the Clinton playbook. How how all of the ducks suddenly, uh, you know, lined up in a row for Biden, who was who was just about done a week ago. I mean, it's
1: amazing. Yeah. Well, and, and I do think I've, I've been I've been predicting uh, Kamala Harris. Uh, she had the second most second highest number of endorsements of, of anybody other than Biden, you know, and that, to me, that's the Democrat establishment. And they 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 know that's what they get. Uh, but um, I, and I think that's what, what the play is. But does Bernie go away? Uh, does he is he forced out of the game? I mean, you you've seen this, Brian, for many years and watch these uh, folks. We're talking about Brian Maloney. Is he is is he going to go away or is this his last stand?
0: Well,
2: so I watched his press conference a little while ago, an hour or two, though. And, I mean, he sounded, I mean, on the one hand, he sounded kind of low energy. On the other, he was talking about staying in the race. So he's in there for a few more days. The problem is for him is that the young people really didn't turn out for him this time. They really didn't show up at the polls at all. So, I mean, yeah. so whatever the whatever he had last time, that energy has not been captured uh, again this time. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I, I've been saying this too, Brian. I'll just say it. And I'll go on to my next question. I'm looking at my notes for you. But I, I tell people that there's certain laws of, of physics and laws of politics, you know, gravity in physics. You know that how that works in politics. There's a law of politics that, you know, everybody thinks they're going to uh, uh, defy. Let's get out the young people. That's one of them. And just never happens. And the other one is, and right. I hate to do this, but I think it's really true is, oh, if we just do a few more things for the African-American community, they'll vote Republican. I, I, I when you look at what happened with Biden, they voted for biden because i mean i'm talking about the percentages i'm not saying them as a people right, but right, the, right. they voted democrat they voted democrat and they voted for biden even though sanders was promising lots of stuff and there was you know all sorts of things to undercut it i i think there's a danger and when you say that i'll lay that out you say what had trump win why did trump win in 2016 it wasn't because he said something nice about one group or the other it was that he said i'm going to stop immigration which is affecting your jobs and and in pennsylvania and ohio and wisconsin that had that got you some votes and it put him over the edge I, I think it's a really um, Biden's a tough matchup.
2: Well, I think that what you've got to do is look at what worked last time and do it again. And I think there's tremendous complacency on the conservative side right now that I've been screaming about in every interview that I do every single day. And that is, hey, it's great that Trump is filling up stadiums and their lines around the block. But that does not mean that people have the year off to go play golf and and screw around this year uh, and not work on campaigns, et cetera.
1: Yeah, it's uh, we're talking with Brian Brian Maloney. Brian, now I want to ask you about another thing. Chuck Schumer's uh, um, uh, either slip of the tongue or his assault on the uh, separate separation of powers and, and our Constitution, when he stood on the Supreme Court during an oral argument, literally the oral argument is ongoing behind him, 500 yards behind him, behind the, 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 the large doors of the Supreme Court, they're arguing an abortion case. By name, he names two justices and says, you know, you'll reap the whirlwind. Is it, a, is it a political gaffe because in 24 hour news cycle you see everything or is it a assault on the Constitution? How does it play out?
2: Uh, I think that he did. I don't think that Chucky does things like that by accident. I think he knew what he was stepping into. And I think that it was a way for him of riling up the base because, hey, he gets a rebuke or whatever. He knows that uh, the GOP establishment won't really do much. They're generally pretty toothless about these things. They're not, you know, they're not ones for standing up. And, you know, even if even when Republican congressmen are shot at a baseball game. You know, the GOP establishment really doesn't get up and get angry. Uh, (laughs) I don't know what it would take. I really don't. So so I think Chucky figured I'll get a slap on the wrist, but I'll have my base riled up and I'll be, you know, raising more money for this person or that person or myself than ever.
1: Well, I hate to sound like John McLaughlin, but you're right, Brian. You're exactly right. That's Chuck Chuck Schumer. Here's what Chuck Schumer did. I think he did it expertly. He taunted the court and he forced Roberts to respond. Roberts took the bait. And now the country looks up and says, yeah, I guess the court is politicized. Now, you and I know the court's always been politicized and the Democrats had done that before. But I think he did drag him into the mud. All right, Brian Maloney, thank you as always. Thanks for your great uh, encouragement to myself and Andrea and what you're doing. And keep us on a a short leash. Uh, Let us know what's going on. Brian Maloney, everybody, and uh, mediaequalizer.com. Very much worth checking out. We'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Be right back.
0: The Answer San Diego, streaming now on tunein.com and radio.com. The Pro America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Good to be with you. And an old friend of the show. He's, uh, he might have, I, I should have given him the prize out last year. You know, frequent uh, guest uh, prize. Because I think uh, Hans von Smokowski, he started slow in the year. I don't know why I picked him up. Uh, and then he really came on strong, was on very frequently. He is the seed, one of the senior legal fellows at uh, the Heritage Foundation, uh, the Mies, uh, Mies Project or Mies Institute. And he is a, an author. Uh, one of his books is Who's Counting? Uh, how Fraudsters and Bureaucrats Put Your Vote at Risk. That's how I really first knew him uh, because he has such a reputation for uh, understanding the election system and recognizing uh, fraud. Uh, He was on the FEC back in uh, 06, 07. I was, that's why I think I ran the Republican, uh, I was a Republican chairman of the election board in the city of St. Louis right around that time. Um, So, and he's, um, uh, well, he just knows everything about the law. So welcome back, Hans. How are you?
3: Ed, uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back.
1: Well listen so this column that I saw a couple days ago foxnews.com, dot com I'll put it up uh, remain in mexico policy is needed to reduce illegal immigration that's your uh, assertion walk us through uh, introduce I, by the way hans I've been saying to people uh, for a week and really for maybe accelerated the last two or three days if the president and his team don't realize that the thing that got him elected was understanding immigration you know uh, it, you know there's lots of, lots of people think they're going to defy sort of political uh, gravity and, and get young people to vote it didn't work for bernie get new groups of people to vote for a Republican. Not sure it works. But one set of people that were motivated were the people that saw this president as being serious on immigration and getting it under control. So walk us through what the Remain in Mexico policy is and and why it's something you think is necessary.
3: Sure. And this is one of the ways he's been trying to get this under control, Uh, as you know, for Mm a long time they've had this catch-and-release policy. You know, an illegal alien comes across the border um, if there's not detention space and they quickly, uh, they, you know, they don't have a lot of detention space, so they quickly get overwhelmed. They process the alien, they give them a date and say, you need to show up uh, on this date for your immigration hearing, and then they let them go. And of course, the vast majority of these illegal aliens never show up for their immigration hearing. Why would they? Since they're in that country illegally, and that's what a judge is going to say. So, Oh, um, more than a year ago, the Trump administration took advantage of a specific provision in federal immigration law, which the prior administrations uh, have, have never done. Uh, that provision says this. If an alien comes across a land border of the United States, the administration can return him to that other country, and uh, that alien can be made to remain there while we are evaluating his claim. So, in other words, an illegal alien comes across the Mexican border, claims asylum. We can return him to Mexico while we evaluate his asylum claim to make sure it's actually a real claim and not fraudulent, which is nine out of ten asylum claims. They put that in force, and they added a second provision. They said... If you sneak across the border illegally instead of coming through one of our official ports of entry, we will right. not consider that you have a, 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 an asylum claim that is credible. Again, that's common sense. If you've got a real uh, asylum claim because you're you know, politically persecuted in your home country, why would you sneak across the border? Why wouldn't you come through an official port of entry? Um, under this policy, last year it was enforced for a year. Uh, they returned six, over sixty thousand aliens who had right. come across the border illegally to Mexico—a huge, huge number. Unfortunately, um, all these liberal groups sued, said you can't do that. And last week, <laughs> the Ninth Circuit yeah, Court of Appeals, yeah. most, most liberal <laughs> court in the in the country, as you know, uh, issued an order enjoining. The Supreme Court, the, the Trump administration, saying oh, you you can't do this. Now, look, the only way they got to this was through a a twisted, tortured interpretation of the law, because the law is pretty clear. Uh, the federal immigration law gives the administration the power to do this. They, in essence, just ignored the law because they don't like it, and they yeah. uh, issued the injunction. But only the Ninth Circuit. You know, it doesn't cover the whole country. They actually limited their injunction to the states of California and Arizona, both of which are border states. So it doesn't apply to the rest of the country. So aliens still coming in through places like Texas. Um, The administration can apply this policy.
1: Well, and so we're talking with Hans von Spakowski, who's uh, an expert on all these legal things, too, and a constitutional lawyer. And and uh, I'll put up on social media. You can find his writings. It's important. But to to boil it down for, you know, uh, a simpleton like me, you know, and for our listeners who are not simple, but I'm doing it for my sake. The thing about this that was so helpful is if you know a little bit of economics, if you remove the incentive to come. You, people will. I'm not talking about self-deport. I'm saying they will make a decision. So if you knew that you could come to America, say, uh, I got an asylum uh, claim, and they would release you into America and you could disappear, which is what was happening, then you were like, well, I'll take that risk. Even if I have to lie, I'll take that risk because I want to get out of here. If you know when you go there and you say I'm on asylum, they say, oh, okay, but we'll send you back to uh, Mexico, and you wait there, you're like, I don't want to wait in Mexico. I'm not, that's not my deal. So that's the thing that was effective about it. And can I say, Hans, maybe you don't know. Did we have mexico 's um, uh, support in understanding we were sending back in other words that that was a big factor that Trump got out of Mexico right got them to con- concede that we were going to do right.
3: No, you're absolutely right on both points. This removed the incentive for illegal uh, aliens to come across the border, and second, yeah, we were only able to do this because the Trump administration uh, basically negotiated a deal with Mexico uh, to allow us to do this. So, again, I, you know, the, the president, he, you know, he's often criticized for so foreign policy issues. He, he He's done a very good job with Mexico, not only getting a new trade deal that's advantageous to it, but getting the Mexican can government to agree to this too
1: yeah, and and Hans von Spakowski again is the Heritage Foundation, and and Hans, I want to I want to within this uh, column and within this discussion hone in on something. You mentioned the Ninth Circuit, and there's been public public uh, public jeez, um, there've been people talking and the president bragging and others saying, "Hey, we're flipping these courts." You know, we're these federal courts, we have over 200 and some odd judges confirmed. It's really great. The truth is, when you draw a three judge panel in in the Ninth Circuit, you still may get liberals, which is what happened here. Right. And and right. frankly, this is the argument for the necessity of of another four-year term and four years of a Senate because you you got a lot of judges that are holding on. Ruth Bader Ginsburg is an example and some others saying, hey, I'll wait and see if I can get another uh, because it it, it hasn't, it's not quite as um, clean as it sounds when people say, oh, we got a lot of new judges. You're still dealing with these realities and people say, oh, well, uh, overturn the Ninth Circuit. It takes time. You got to go on bonk. Then you got to take it to the Supreme Court. They're kind of busy. And so uh, this is within this story reveals another uh, you know, thing we've got to worry about, and if conservatives think, "Oh, we've done really well; we got really good people," in, eh, there's a lot more to do, right?
3: Yes, no, that's exactly right. It's look, he's done a good job of filling empty slots on the Ninth Circuit, but conservative judges are still a minority, although it's gotten much better. And yeah, it's going to take a second term him to finally flip the Ninth Circuit from being a majority of very liberal judges to hopefully being a majority of conservative judges.
1: Yep, and Hans I would be remiss, my viewer, my listeners and, and the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles that, uh, that um, worship at a very small altar for Hans von Spakowski because of your work on voter fraud, we don't actually worship but we go there and, and, and say thank you to the, the good Lord for all you do. I'd be remiss if I didn't say, how worried are you about this election? I mean, we're watching this Democrat uh, primary system And some of us, I think, are not remembering when they get done with this. They'll rally behind their nominee and then they'll start what they do every four years, every two years, every election and try to get the system uh, worked over. How how worried are you about uh, uh, election fraud?
3: Uh, Well, I'm very worried about it, Um, particularly. I'm concerned about people who are not U.S. citizens registering and voting because there's evidence that that's occurring uh, all across the country could that be in big enough numbers to affect elections potentially so depending on how small the margin is you know depending on where you are so yeah no i'm i'm definitely concerned about that
1: all right, Hans, well, we'll have you back on to talk about that and some of the things we were talking off the air about the FEC. Thank you, as always. I'm running out of time, as usual. Hans von Spakovsky uh, at the Heritage Foundation, and I'll put his article up on uh, social media, and I'll make sure the links to his uh, stuff, it's an important guy to follow. So thanks, Hans, appreciate it very much. Sure, uh, thanks for having me.
3: We'll,
1: we'll, all right, we'll take a quick break. It's Ed Martin here in Pro America Report. Be right back.
0: Streaming now on The Answer San Diego app and radio.com. Ed Martin. The Pro America Report on the Answer San Diego.
1: Welcome back, welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. That's some good. That's some good guests right there. The, the best thing, you know, I tell you all the time. One of the best things about being on the Answer San Diego and being on the radio is I get all these guests. I mean, it's a phenomenal. It, well, second best thing. First best thing is that everybody that listens that emails me and and contacts me through uh, Twitter. It's phenomenal, and I'll run through those uh, numbers again and, and digits. Uh, at Eagle Ed Martin on Twitter. A lot of folks. Direct message me there at Eagle Ed Martin. You can get there. I leave the DMs open. Facebook, it's Ed Martin Live. Uh, email, go to EdMartinLive.com, sign up, sign up for that daily email, but also email me, Ed at EdMartinLive.com. And then you can text me. In fact, I got one guy, he calls himself Dan the Vending Man, and I, don't, I never knew what that means. He just texts me and calls himself Dan the Vending Man, um, and he was all fired up this morning at the crack of dawn texting me. The number is 314-256-1776, 314-256-1776, kicks right to my phone so you can text me there. Dan the Vending Man was texting this morning, oh, about Schumer. Uh, being so nasty at the Supreme Court. And then he, in his next text, he said, and these people are so nasty about abortion. And he said, which is incredible. And I asked him if I could talk about it. He said, "Um, he's adopted. And he said, so these people that think that you should kill all the babies. And he said, I was adopted. And if my mother had aborted me, I wouldn't be here. So anyway, but but thank you. You text me and contact me either way, any way you like uh, of those ways. Thank you. But second best thing. After the great listeners is having these great guests and being able to get Hans von Spakowski to tell us what the deal is Brian Maloney understands the media uh, it's just phenomenal so uh, let me pick up I got another text from somebody you know I talk often about the importance of the heartbeat bill uh, you know there's been Supreme Court cases that it yesterday there was a Supreme Court case argued before the Supreme Court a, a pro-life um, uh, argument before the Supreme Court in the uh, that Louisiana Attorney General case um, and um, there's some others that are coming up and we often talk Talk about uh, the importance of life issues. is something I care a lot about. But I also have told you that one of the great uh, movements in the last five years, three and a half, four years for sure, has been these heartbeat bills because the heartbeat bill is just so naturally evocative for a, the listener, the reader, when you say, hey, what about a heartbeat bill? They say, what is that? And you say, well, when there's a heartbeat, you know, the baby's protected. When there's a heartbeat detected, the baby's protected. And people, everybody can think, you know, think to themselves... The heartbeat, right? They can, they can feed you. It, it's kind of... And when uh, Congressman Steve King, before the uh, subcommittee of the Judiciary Committee in the U.S. House, had testimony, and he had a, a, a ultrasound of a baby testifying, the youngest uh, baby ever to testify. It was like uh, six months old, in utero, and the baby testified, and the key thing he wanted was the heartbeat. Well, they've spread all around the country, the heartbeat bills. There, there's a federal one, and it's stalled because Pelosi's in power in the House, but it's spread all around the country, states. And so here comes, just a couple days ago, the New York Times... Writing about the heartbeat bills. First of all, it's great news because you wouldn't, you, we didn't see the New York Times and other secular media or left wing media cover the heartbeat bills. They ignored them because they'd rather cover uh, bans on abortion. They say, "Oh, there's abortion ban that will, and th- there could be a rape or incest, and you want to ban all abortions." Well, hold on, um, that's not the, the heartbeat bill. By the way, is not a ban technically. If there's no heartbeat detected, well, then you, you don't, you, you do what you want, I suppose. I wouldn't want you to, but. Heartbeat is detected just weeks into a pregnancy. So, we've been pushing this because we think it changes hearts pun intended. Well, the New York Times a couple of days ago on the op-ed page, the, the headline is "The Heartbeat Bills Were Never the Real Threat to Abortion Rights." And they go on to talk about how the abortion rights proponents are doing a subtler game or something, and it's a kind of a, a tendentious argument. But the first part they says all across they say all across the country heartbeat bills are passing. Here's what I want to tell you. You, you watched uh, Bernie Sanders say he was going to get the young vote, the youth vote to turn out on Super Tuesday, and they didn't come? That's, that's, political, that's, that's political gravity right there. That's a law of gravity. Young people don't vote. Doesn't matter. AOC, Bernie Sanders, doesn't matter. They just don't vote. They don't get out of bed. They don't get, to get there. But um, here's what I want to tell you. I don't care whether they vote or not. I'll tell you this. The technology is changing their hearts and minds on abortion. What we're seeing is across the country, more people, younger people, are saying, you know, 18, 20-year-olds are saying, yeah, there's something there. Obviously, there's something there. You can see that. You can see the ultrasound. You can hear the heartbeat. You know, Now you can see the ultrasounds. It's not just a blurry picture in black and white. Color ultrasounds. You can see expressions. You can see all kinds of things. It's, um, I don't think you can see eye color yet because the eyes stay closed on those babies until they come out. So I don't think you can do that. But every, almost everything else. And so my point here is the heartbeat bill plus technology is changing the hearts and minds of young people. They're not voting yet, but they'll be voting in 10 years. I mean, by the way, when I say they're not voting, what I mean is by percentage, they're not voting in big numbers. Some young people are voting. Some yeah, There are some. But when you get to be 35, 45, 55, you start to go up, up, up in percentage of voters. And these young people that are 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, that are saying to themselves, yeah, there's something here. Uh, we don't believe in abortion like you do. We don't like you did your generation before us or two or three before. Us. and so what you 're going to see is this pro life cohort grow old and be able to change the voting population as they go older now they may be liberal on some other issues like uh you know medicare for all maybe not i don 't know or, or forgiving loans and things but as to pro life they 're going to be more pro life they 're going to be more open to common sense restrictions on abortion until we get Roe v. Wade turned around. And then one of the things about the turnaround of Roe v. Wade, the overturning of it, is it will not be cause for a riot in America because that whole group of people are going to be for it. So you're going to have the hole in the donut. They're going to have a bunch of people who are probably about 30 to 45 or 50 that have were conditioned and didn't grow up understanding what life was. They, they didn't see the technology as much. Maybe it's a little bit older than that. And then there's just plain old liberals that want abortion. But a whole bunch of people, more than you think, are going to be for pro-life. They're going to be for the life position. And it's going to be a positive thing to say, hey, there's not a right to abortion. There's not a right. There's not a constitutional right to it. And, of course, what everybody from the late Justice Scalia to, you know, Father Pavone to uh, Marjorie Dannenfelser to myself and uh, John Schlafly, Clark Forsythe, everybody would tell you there's no chance that they're going to find a right to life in the Constitution at the same time that they turn over Roe v. Wade. Maybe they should, but there's no chance they're going to do that. So when they overturn Roe v. Wade, what's going to happen is it's going to go back to the states. And in the state legislatures, you're going to have to persuade legislators about how to limit and change the, uh, the direction of um, abortion and abor- what it means and what pro-life means. It's a very exciting time, and this New York Times article is a really good example of how the, uh, the efforts that those of us that care about pro-life are undertaking are having an effect, and, and they're moving the needle. I'll tell you one more. You want to go to one more? I'll tell you one. I'll make a prediction for you. Uh, this is going to be really cool. In the next year, maybe two years, you will see the proliferation, the, the uh, production of, uh, by 3D printers, the babies in the belly. And the technology exists. It was developed, I think, in Estonia. It was, uh, it, but, but to, to 3D print the baby from an ultrasound taken by your technician. So you go to have a baby, you go to have, get your baby. If, you're not, if you haven't had a child and you go to the, the doctor, they take 3D ultrasounds now. It's extraordinary technology. And they're checking on your health, not mine, because I'm not a girl, but they're checking on the health of the mother and the health of the baby. And they're seeing what's going on. They can take that file and just email the file. I mean, it's a big file, but you email the file and to the right kind of software, and you can print 3D print a, a, an image of that baby, like a doll. And you want to see, uh, at first it may sound in your head like, oh, that's kind of creepy. That's what they said when you first had the 3D uh, ultrasound. I've, I've run back and asked lots of folks about when 3D ultrasounds and ultrasound images came, people were first like, oh, I don't want to see that. After a while, they're like, oh, I want to see that. Look at that finger. Look at that toe. Look at that, how the hand is. Look at the head. Look at this nose. And you're going to be able to print and, and create a, an image of the baby. I mean, you're going to see more technology that allows uh, helping the baby that has an issue, health issue in utero. You don't you don't kill something that you help by doing surgery. You get my point. All right. Anyway, it's exciting times. And it's uh, and, and the New York Times even recognizing the progress of the heartbeat bills. That's a sort of small. Um, that's a small victory. Just them noticing that we're doing that. And congratulations to the Janet Porters of the world and others who have been pushing that. She's at Faith to Action. She's one of the earliest uh, proponents of the heartbeat bill. Uh, pretty good stuff. All right, we'll take uh, we'll wrap things up. I'm not take a break. We'll wrap things up. Uh, thank you for listening to the program. As always, go to TheAnswerSanDiego.com. Get the show as a podcast. You can also go wherever podcasts are, iTunes, Google Play. Thank you to Noah, our fearless technical director, and Joanna for helping produce out of the heart of America. And we will be back tomorrow night. Thank you for listening. It's Ed Martin. It's the Pro America Report. Be back tomorrow.